playing in Mexico is, uh, is, is a very unique experience. It's, it's not like eastbound and down. Welcome to the Strive for More podcast. My name is Jared Hendry and I'm the founder of the Strive Accelerator. We are a group of young entrepreneurs that you've probably never heard of and we figured out that a community of like-minded people is the only way to ensure we flourish in business, in our relationships, and in our lives. This podcast is dedicated to uncovering the stories of the communities around successful people that got them to where they are, and in the process, we'll break down barriers for you to succeed too. Michael Krauss was born and raised in Vancouver, BC. Michael was a multi-sport athlete in high school, and he excelled in track and field, volleyball, basketball, and baseball. Michael ended up choosing to pursue baseball as the game resonated most with his skill set and drive. Michael ended up being drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays in 2008 in the 16th round, and he went on to play seven years of professional baseball and ended up finishing his career in AA. Michael has played professional baseball in the Atlantic League, Independent Baseball League, Australian Baseball League, and is currently playing professionally in the Mexican Baseball League. Michael has competed in many international competitions, including winning gold in the Asia Series, bronze in the World Baseball Cup, gold in the Pan American Games, and has competed in the World Baseball Classic and was a member of the all-world team in the World Junior Baseball Championship. Well, Michael Krauss, thank you so much for joining us today, buddy. Thank you, my man. I'm happy to be here, brother. So you have obviously had a really impressive career in baseball. You've, uh, you've accomplished a whole lot and, and in a venue that's not really easy for, at the time at least, for Canadian kids to, to get drafted and then go on to play professional baseball. And right. so I think that we, we often hear these stories about really successful people that, um, and sometimes I think we only hear one side of the story. We, we, we hear how they accomplish these great things and, and push through adversity. And it was only due to like their strength and the qualities that they had. And now don't get me wrong. I think that that is important, but I also think that there's another story to be told. There's communities around all of us that help us to get where we are in life. And so um, my question to you, Michael, is, is can you think of anybody early on in your career that really helped move your career forward, even though maybe they didn't have to do that? Um, yeah. Um, you know, growing up, I came from a athletic background. My dad, you know, he played football in the NFL. Uh, my mom was a dancer um, growing up. And so coming from athletic genes, it was, I guess, instilled in my DNA. Um, started playing all sports growing up. And that kind of like drove me down the path of athletics. And I just, I just rolled with it. And then certain stages throughout my life, you know, uh, when I was, you know, handed off from my dad not coaching anymore, I think um, Greg Hamilton, which is the uh, director of Team Canada for baseball, um, had a big influence on my career. I know not only my career, but other people's careers as well, because it's the first time where you step out of the house you go on a trip by yourself for 14 days and uh, you play a pro style of baseball and it really puts you in a state where, where you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, okay, can I handle this life or do I need more time? Or was I mistaken getting into this? So, I mean, my parents, my dad, 
and I would say Greg Hamilton in the program he shaped Team Canada. How old were you, Michael, were you when you got involved with Greg Hamilton? So my first year, I got the first call when I was uh, 16 years old, and that was my first year. Um, and then I played the following year as well when I was 17. So I had two years under my belt for the junior national team. And do you remember what kind of things stood out to you about Greg's approach? Like you mentioned him as a big influence in your life, but what was it about him or about his approach that really kind of resonated with you? He was a constant professional. I mean, he still is that person today, but he was a constant professional. Um, he treated everybody the same. And you knew that he was handing out all that respect, that he didn't really demand respect. He earned it from all of his players just because of how he he presented himself, how he held himself, the programs that he put together. Um, so that being said, you knew every time you put on a Team Canada jersey, it wasn't just about you. It was about, it was about more than you. It was about you're representing now your country. And he made it known to every player that this, that this was – you know, the the philosophy of Team Canada and everybody, everybody that was on that team with me knew that and the players to follow now, you know, abided by the same philosophy. And I think it must speak a lot to his coaching and, and the group that surrounded you because so many of those guys from that junior national team have gone on to do really great things. And, and Brett Laurie is obviously probably the most famous person out of that group, but I think he's also probably if not the highest draft pick uh, as a Canadian ever, um, then, then very much near the top of that list. Um, so it, it must speak to that, uh, those qualities of Greg. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, I think Brett Laurie was one of the best athletes I've ever played with, one of the best baseball players I've ever seen. Um, and usually, you know, if, if that was the case in the States or another place, you know, he would um, – the coaches would – only care about him and not other players, but that wasn't the case. They knew that Brett was such a special player, but they also cared about maybe not the the, the least most important person on the team, which is which is what makes Team Canada so special. Because when that group of ball players gets together, it's a, it's a unity. It's not just one person. You spoke about professionalism and and growing up, obviously playing with you. I think that as I kind of look back on your career and how I thought of you, I think that professionalism was. Uh, kind of the definition of Michael Kraus, uh, because you were always somebody that was so uh, composed, but also somebody that was so, I think, rational about the game and, and just understood that it was not just about getting to play professional baseball. It was about building relationships and kind of uh, creating this, these communities and looking to the future. And, and so I'm excited to get into this conversation and, and learn about where you've kind of gone down that path. Right. Um, I think it's going to be a great conversation. And uh, one question that I have before we kind of move on to, to the later years is, is going back to your past a little bit here. And, and I think that in our teenage years, there can often be these like really defining moments in our lives that shape how we move to the future and how we see the future. And so I'd like to know from you, did you have um, any insights maybe early in your teenage years that led you to where you are now or influenced that path? Um, you know, growing, growing up, I was fortunate enough to, uh, grow up with, uh, kids my age that were all, you know, had talent in athletics, whether it had been soccer, basketball, football. So we kind of all grew up together playing those sports. Um, that being said, my dad was, you know, fresh out the NFL and the CFL, 
um, I don't know, maybe eight years removed. And he was my coach in football, basketball, and track and everything. And so all of our team sports had a football mentality behind it. It wasn't just showing up and going through the motions. We had a very structured practice. We worked hard. We conditioned hard. And I think that took a precedence on when you show up to this practice, you're going to get better no matter what. You're not here to fool around. And that kind of led into my entire life. By the time I was 12, that was my mindset. I, that was instilled in me to work hard, to get better and not play around. And those are the same values that I carry today, whether I wake up and go eat food and have my nutritional program or go throughout my workout program or go throughout my day. I do it the most effective and efficient way as I can and not just go through the motions. That was instilled to me when I was five years old. You mentioned your dad and and for our listeners out there, um, your dad was a professional running back. He played a season for the Calgary Stampeders and and then a full season with the Green Bay Packers and then going back to the CFL, I think, with the Lions. And, And correct me if I'm wrong there, but I'm interested to know, like, how did your dad shape how you approach sports? Well, you know, in football, I mean, you can't, you have to have a, a strong mentality um, to to be able to compete and go out there and put out, forth your best effort. And that was, he, he shaped our practices that way uh, when I was five years old. So that's all I really knew, you know, was how to not only just compete to get a medal, but like to compete to win. And we made sure that with every practice, we put everything that we had into it so that if you didn't win, you would feel some sort of heartbreak. Nowadays, I feel like with kids, they just show up to practice. So when they, whether they win or lose, it doesn't really matter because if they lose, they didn't put too much into practice. But we put so much into practice. We worked so hard that when we lost, it was like, wow, how did we look like? How did this happen? You know what I mean? Like, what, yeah. what? we weren't supposed to lose. Like, that's, it was like heartbreaking. We practiced to win. That's all we knew. That's all we knew. We practiced to win, man. There's no other, There's honestly, there's no other way. So what would that actually look like? Like, you mentioned that you practiced to win and that, that kind of losing was, was not rewarded. So how did that actually happen? Like, with your dad, what did he do to, to schedule that? It practices at, I don't know, say 6 p.m., football practice 6 p.m you show up you show up 5 45 you know what i mean you're not you're not rolling up at 605 so that makes it that makes the parents accountable as well you know what i mean which transitions to the kid so that's just step number one and then after that it's paying attention to detail so you really have to instead of just taking a knee and listening to the coach and talking to your friends and then messing up the drill and then asking oh how do i do it no, you, you get all the details so when you do the drill, you can do it properly. And then when if you do mess up, it's because you don't know how to do that specific, specific drill. It's not because you didn't listen. And I think just by learning how to listen to details at a young age, that allowed me to progress going forward. I think that there's been uh, so much focus on the mental aspect of professional sports and, and of athletes in general that this is really kind of come to the forefront as a, um, as a huge focus. And so what kind of mental preparation did you have either before the game or during a game, or, or did you have any at all? I think, um, when, when, when you first get into it, you know, you just, you know, you're just trying to get to know personalities on the team. So you're just, 
you could be playing cards that year. I mean, I was I was drafted in 2008, so there was no cell phones at that time, really. So everyone is playing cards in the locker room. You know, shoot, <laughs> how, you know? how the times have changed. <laughs> That's what I, seriously. It's like I look back at it. I'm like, oh my god, there was uh, people were playing cards, people were shooting the shit, and then you know you might throw on some some uh, some music, some Drake. On, so yeah, nothing's it, changed there. Yeah, exactly. You would throw on, <laughs> but the only problem is you would throw on like a, a like a main speaker that everyone would listen to, and then as as it progressed. Um, as the years progressed, people started to get more individualized with their own speaker because of the phones and whatnot. Um, but that's just one way is music. Another way might be getting to the field super early to prep your body or getting to the field a little bit later because you want to conserve your body, taking a nap before a game, drinking coffee, um, having a good meal. There's a lot of things that goes into mental uh, preparation. Uh, for me, it's showing up to the field uh, around a, two hours before the actual stretch. Make sure I get two meals in before I step on the field for stretch. Because if I don't, um, my energy levels will just like go crazy. And I'll, I'll be tired come game time. Um, make sure I, I get my body re- ready. I can get my glutes, my core, all my body so I know that in my mind, it wasn't my my body that was lacking that day. You know, I can I mark I'm checking off the boxes. Come back in after after BP, I might eat something a little bit more. I'll take a nap, drink a coffee, take a shower, and with all that being said, I'm ready to play a, a baseball game at seven o'clock. What about uh, like before and at bat? Would you ever focus on? Um, like some kind of meditative routine or really kind of nailing your focus down? Or was that not really something that had crossed your radar at that time? I think it takes, I think it takes a little bit of time. Um, We have coaches specified for that in professional baseball that allow you to focus on other things other than just mechanics. Cause I think when you first get into professional baseball, you're just worrying about mechanics. You're like, Oh my God, how do I hit this 96 mile per hour fastball yeah. with a nasty slider now? Without you shitting know, my pants. Right. And it's so overwhelming. Now you're 17 year old kid. You're facing guys that um, have been in college for four years and you know that your ability can, can match up with theirs, but, there's just something off when, from the experience standpoint. So there's um, there's mental health coaches that are there that will tell you, you know what I mean. It's not all about it's not all about your mechanics. It can be about your approach in the box. It can be about how you're watching a guy in the dugout. And I think all those things you learn through pro, pro ball, or at least I did. So for you, it was more uh, the understanding the approach that you had to take with specific players or against specific teams or in specific circumstances, as opposed to like, this is a routine that I use before I go up to bat every single time. It's a little bit of both. I have, I have a certain routine in the box. Um, I try to pick up the release point right away from the pitcher, just so I, when I step in, I can focus on that one release point which will help me recognize the ball a little bit further a little bit better um if i see that a pitcher is established in the outside part of the plate i'll 
I won't even look in for that at bat until, until, I don't know, the game suggests for me to look in. But majority of the time, the pitcher's tendencies will, will allow him to just stay away the entire time. So that's an approach in itself. Um, but yeah, I'll have my little checkpoints on deck and sometimes I'll come back to the dugout after swinging at balls in the dirt. And I'm like, what, are, what am I swinging at? Like, what's wrong with my swing? And I'll go through my checkpoints. Did you see the ball? And right away, it's like, no, I didn't even really see the ball. And it's, it's weird to say, but it's a lot of, a lot of ball players will come back in the dugout without even really truly seeing the ball, seeing the ball out of the hands off the fingertip to be able to pick up spin right away. Yeah, I've actually never seen the ball. I just swing um, loudly <laughs> and yeah, and hope swing, you know. I, swing yeah. hard in case you hit it, man. Oh swing yeah, hard in, <laughs> swing hard in case you hit it. You know what? I had a, a coach in my, uh, I guess like middle school ages, so like grade eight and grade nine, uh, bantam baseball, I think. And so, what he would tell tell us, like his piece of advice, is he would be he, like he was a third base coach, and he'd be giving us signals. And his, um, like what he would tell us in order to, to try and get a hit was he would just yell at us. And, and as the ball was coming, he would yell, hit the ball. And, <laughs> and that was like the advice that we got. And so I've always just followed that, man. Like simplify. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, honestly, that's a lot of coaches because a lot of, a lot of coaches that have never been to a high level, high level being, I don't know, college or professional baseball, they don't know how to hit the ball themselves. So what do they say to their kids? They just say, hit the ball in a, in a louder voice. Yeah, I think that there's so much uh, knowledge out there that's sometimes lacking, or, or at least that communication piece, because we're so, most of us know how to swing a bat or throw a ball or pick up a ground ball, but describing that process is something that's very, very different. Right. Um, and, and so an interesting kind of mental model, Michael, that I came across recently is, is something called the alter ego effect. And I've spoken about it on the podcast before, but I'm kind of interested to get your, your opinion on it. And so it's, it's a book written by a guy named Todd Herman, and he's kind of like the guru of the, um, like he's a guru of mental models in the sports world to like help you overcome these deficiencies. And, and looking back on my career, I, I wish that I had this knowledge before. And, and his approach is like literally creating an alter ego for yourself. And so like, let's say that um, maybe you're not a very good hitter, right? Like you really struggle to hit a, um, a fastball at 96 miles an hour. And right. like, you know, that that's your deficiency. And so, when you go up to bat, you can create like this alter ego. So this other version of yourself and, and us as human beings are so limited in our ability to change who we are at our cores, like changing into a good hitter is so, so hard, but switching, like making these tiny little adjustments or switches in your processing is easy. And so that switch allows you to overcome some big challenges when you kind of take these small factors into effect over time. And so what he recommends is um, like creating literally uh, kind of like a superhero version of yourself that you're able to switch into um, uh, in specific situations, whether that's in baseball or in business. And he gives the example of this dyslexic guy who's a, a businessman and, and he always felt dumb around his colleagues. Um, and so what he did is he looked around and noticed that all of his colleagues, they were really, really bright and they used big words and they 
Um, they were just crushing it in the business world. And he noticed something they all had in common and they all had glasses on. And so he developed this alter ego, like think about Superman. Um, and so right. what he would do is when he put his glasses on, he bought like a fake pair of glasses. They had lenses in them, but they, they had no prescription. He would wear his glasses anytime he was going into a business situation. And that it. for him was him like switching into the business person version of himself. And I've used this in my own life. Like I've got this terrible fear of heights, but I'm also um, like a, a rock climber and an ice climber. And so, um, yeah, I use this to, to be able to kind of get over those, uh, those hurdles. And I, I really see that as kind of the next frontier in sports is being able to like train our brains along with our minds and our bodies. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you a hundred percent, a thousand percent. Um, you see that a lot with athletes, honestly. Um, the word cocky comes to a lot of fans when they see that guy stepping into the box or, um, you know, the way he walks or the way he has his, his top two buttons undone or the way he has, I don't know, tattoos on his arm. People will look at that type of person and be like, oh, he's cocky, yada, yada, yada. But that just might be his alter ego, the, something that gives him that confidence on the field. So I agree. Baseball is extremely hard. Stepping into that box and trying to hit 96 miles per hour when the guy has a slider, also has a changeup and a sinker and a cutter, whatever he has. It's hard. So you have to step in there with 100% confidence, knowing that you're going to do damage. You cannot be afraid because as soon as you're afraid, that's when you get out or that's when you get out the wrong way. When I, mm. What I mean by that is it's okay to strike out. It's okay to, to get out, but there's a, there's a right and wrong way to do it. If I strike out and I look scared in the box then he knows and the entire team, their opposite team, even my team knows that, shoot, he's, he's not ready to play today. He's scared. He, should, he might not even be ready to play in this level. But if you go up there with intent and you strike out, the pitcher might be like, oh, man, damn, like he just missed my pitch. I got to be careful next time he comes up. And that's just like the chess game within the game. So now I come back in my second AB, and even though I struck out, I did it effectively, or even though I got out, I did it effectively. Now the pitcher is like, okay, I can't leave that pitch there like I did last time. And he might change up his approach to go back into my zone that I want him to pitch me in. So it's a, it's, it's a, you got to have that alter ego in the box, like you were saying, in order to be successful that game the next day, the whole week, the month, the season. Like Kobe Bryant, man, he's the perfect example of somebody that's developed an alter ego. And I think he, he did it very much before this, uh, this became popularized and, and probably developed, developed it himself. But people looked at him as somebody that was very stoic and didn't show much emotion, was very competitive. Um, but he turned into like the Black Mamba. And when he was the Black Mamba, he was dropping 81 points on the Raptors. Right. <laughs> you know, you got... You got the Black Mamba. You have Primetime, Deion Sanders. You got Jordan. Yeah. You got you have Ricky Henderson, uh, Muhammad Ali. They all became characters amongst themselves, and the world knew their character and loved their character for it because they were so vicious and ferocious, and they were winners with that character. And I think to some extent that we almost have to have that character in order to push through to the day-to-day, -day, like 
I know how hard it is just getting up for work every day. Like sometimes that is a challenge, um, but going out and competing at the kind of level that you compete at, that the level that Kobe Bryant competed at, that the level that Muhammad Ali competed at, you almost need this second character that you can step into to kind of transform yourself. And so I, I just find that a fascinating field. And I, I'm interested to see kind of what the, the developments are going to be in that, in that world. Um, but having, having kind of touched on the, the mental part of the game, already i'm interested to, to talk about your physical and kind of nutritional approach to the game because I, I think that that is something as well it's like cell phones it's changed so much in the 12 years that since you got drafted so what does your current kind of nutritional regime look like getting ready for professional baseball um my my day-to-day is um i'll wake up as soon as I wake up, I'll try to get hydrated. I want to hydrate my body. Like that's, that's my main goal. So I'll drink a big glass of water and I'm not, I'm not just sipping on it. I'm drinking it because I've been fasting my body for, you know, nine hours of sleep plus another four hours or five hours from when I had my last meal. So 15 hours at some point, at sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. So I try to get that hydrated right after, right after that, like I'll have a breakfast. My breakfast usually consists of some sort of protein and some toast. So like, I'll just have, I don't know, some eggs, some oatmeal, some toast. And then after that, I kind of space my meals out every two and a half hours and I'll, I'll go, my second meal will be a smoothie and my third meal will be a nice uh, lunch, whether it's like um, um, chicken, some broccoli or you know, some sort of lean meat, follow it up with another smoothie and then dinner. I'll kind of have like whatever I want that night, uh, pasta, um, a hamburger or, or whatnot. But for majority of my days, I kind of eat like that. So I can get my fruits and veggies with my smoothies because if I don't, sometimes I'll lack on that. But throughout the course <laughs> of the day, <laughs> seriously, so I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's preaching easy. to the choir. It's, it's it's honestly it's so easy not to get your intake of fruits and veggies if you don't you know make a smoothie if you don't take supplements so i i knew for myself that i had to start making smoothies or juices to get that sort of nutrition in my body um how do you how has that nutrition changed from the beginning of your professional career to now or has it changed oh yeah it changed um I used to eat. So instead of having those two smoothies that I have, I would have throughout the day, I would incorporate another meal into those. So it would be like, instead of a smoothie, it'd be like a big, I don't know, Chipotle bowl. And then I would have lunch <laughs> three hours later. And then again, I would have like wings or, or chicken and, and whatnot. So I'd be eating like six full meals a day. Whoa. Yeah. And I was starting to like, feel like why do I feel so sluggish come the later part of the day and my body was always digesting food so because you're having 14,000 calories a day (laughs) I I mean I was in the gym like I I wasn't getting fat because of it but it's just my energy levels weren't um, where it needed to be Um, so what did you notice about that change like did you notice a change in your performance when you altered your nutrition I noticed that come game time, come seven o'clock, I was, I wouldn't even say game time, seven o'clock. I would say come that fourth, fifth inning where you can take a drag, 
I wasn't really getting fatigued then because my nutrition helped me have a sustained level of energy throughout the game. Um, I didn't have to depend on a coffee before the game, even though I like that just to give me that mm-hmm. boost for seven o'clock. But I didn't really have to depend on like a, a pre-workout or yeah, a pre-workout to get ready for that seven o'clock game. I knew that if my nutrition was right and I had maybe like a cup of coffee right for the game, a little pick me up that I would be able to s- sustain my energy throughout the entirety of the game, whether it be two and a half hours or four hours because of my nutrition that I started as soon as I woke up. I interviewed uh, a couple of episodes ago, a guy named Alex Rucker and, and folks probably don't know that name, but he's the the kind of right-hand man to the GM of the Philadelphia 76ers Elton Brand, um, who, you know, I'm sure we both grew, grew up watching a uh, really right. famous basketball player and, and now the GM of the 76ers. And so I interviewed Alex Rucker, I think his title is the senior VP of basketball operations for the 76ers. And, and he was talking about kind of the next frontier of, of, um, of sports and, and specific to basketball. And it's all about player development. So it's about how do you get these players the best nutrition for not just for that, like not just broadly, but specific to them. How do you get them the best mental training? How do you get them the best athletic training? How do you get them the best kind of financial and and just overall wellness training? And so he was mentioning that as really like the next frontier of athletics. Absolutely. I mean, that that's, that's so important. And you get into, I remember first getting into minor league baseball and you're in, and you're in rookie ball and, um, you get there, you get to the facility, and breakfast is always usually a nice spread. You got whatever you kind of want, omelets. And then and then that's at like 7.30, and then you get on the field, and you're not eating again until like 11.30. And when you do come in and eat for lunch, it's like a, a half a – it's like a six-inch sandwich and some mm-hmm. chips and a granola bar that's supposed to tie you over for a game at 1 o'clock. And then eventually till dinner, which is not going to take place till about four thirty, five o'clock. Nutrition's changed completely. It's made a it's made a it's made a one eighty since then. But you know, I I I'm starting to realize now that teams now know that nutrition is half the battle with with um with all their players if they can feed them right. And make sure their energy is is always high. They're going to get the best out of their product on the field. Yeah, like speaking of that, I, I went to the 76ers uh, training facility, and they have a personal chef in their facility. They've got kombucha on tap. Um, yeah, it's like a, it, the most beautiful workout facility I've ever seen. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of the future. But but the second half to nutrition, I think, is also this health component. Like, I think a lot of people saw baseball and and still continue to see baseball and baseball players as like the the Babe Ruth epitome, right? Like the, the beer drinking cheeseburger eating big fatty. Right. Right. Um, But, but I, that's obviously changed very much. And so I'm wondering about your, your workout routine. Is it like in season, what does that look like? Um, In season. So with baseball, you play, you play three game series, four game series. Um, I'll get a total body lift in um, once a series. So basically I'm working out twice a week 
in the gym. Um, that being said, every single we play every single day, so I have to wow. get my body prepared to play every single day. So I uh, I'll foam roll, I'll activate my core, I'll activate my glutes because if those are turned on, the rest of my body will work. If those are turned off, um, I'm going to be using muscles or body movements that I normally don't to compensate because there's certain things that are turned off. Um, I'll warm up on a bike or I'll run some poles. Um, so I'll do that. That's an everyday routine that I have to do to make sure that my body is functioning. And it also allows me to feel things that maybe I didn't feel the day before. Maybe I had a tough game where, you know, I was running a lot in the outfield and diving and stealing bases and I woke up a little sore and my left knees hurt or, or, or barking a little bit. Now I know mm -hmm. what to do in order to make my left knee um, feel a little less pain to get ready for that game. Or I know that I need to take, you know, less swings in BP or not fully shag in the outfield for BP because I need to get this knee right for the game, but not only for that game, the game the next day and the, the following day after that. So the activation process for me is key and getting into the weight room twice a week is also key because it maintains everything that I built in the off season. And, and um, what about that off season? Like what is a perfect kind of week look like for you? as far as training is concerned? Um, a perfect week. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get into the gym four times a week. I'll do an upper body, a lower body, day off, upper body, lower body, the weekend off. Mixed in with that, I'll run track um, three times a week. So whether it's a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, I'll add that in. And then I'll add one yoga in on the weekend. So like a Saturday. I usually take Sunday completely off. Um, to just kind of recover um, from the week that I just had, and even so if I have a, six days a week, yeah, yeah, and I think I think a lot of people, what a lot of people don't understand is that those six days a week are not like full on. They're not, you're not killing your body six days a week. There's 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 a program behind working out six days a week. So I might have heavy day in the gym three days and a lighter day this day that allows me to still get my work in, but recover into heavier days and stuff like that. Um, it took a little bit of time also to, to understand my body, to be able to, to get up to the point to where I could work out six days a week. Um, I feel like in the earlier stages of my career, I was just trying to put on weight, just trying to, because I was, I was 206, 205 when I first entered um, professional <laughs> baseball. So I was just trying to, you know, stack eight pounds here this off season, 10 pounds here this off season, but that, that catches up with you. So, you know, I, I started to tweak my workouts a little bit more, started running a little bit more, starting doing less weights, but more repetition. So it's, um, Working out and preparation is not a one-size-fits-all. It's everyone has to understand what their body type is and what their goal is, you know. How you mentioned yoga, I'm, I'm interested to know how important has the flexibility component been? And, and that seems to be something that I don't necessarily remember being a focus in 
definitely high school baseball that like we stretched before a game, but it wasn't like this is an important part of becoming a baseball player. Is that, has that changed? Do you think? Yeah, because there's a, there's a strength component in yoga along with flexibility, obviously that I think every, everybody should understand. Um, Learning how to go through a pose while being flexible in that pose will tell you a lot about your body and your body control and your body awareness. So I started adding that in once a week just to see where my body was, just to see where my weightlifting program was and to see if, you know, like, was I getting stiff or was I still able to move and flow through these movements? And that was just kind of like a, a reminder of like, okay, if your body is working, you're, you're still flexible. You know, you can still hold this pose with flexibility and strength. Um, so yeah, it was, it's, it's a nice addition to any program. Oh, that's really interesting, man. So what you're saying is you kind of used, like you were obviously doing the weights and the, and the running and, and the flexibility training, but the yoga allowed you to kind of see like a course, correct. Like, am I going in the right direction toward, um, the perfect outcome, which is strength and flexibility and body control. And that just told you like, yes, I'm doing a good job or no, I've got to kind of work on this a bit more. A thousand percent, a thousand percent. It's, um, it, it, it just allows you to realize, okay, I'm not, I've been doing this, this heavy, this heavy lifting throughout the week and I'm not tight. I can still do these poses. So, okay, I can continue what I'm doing. Um, so let's get, I want to go to your, um, professional baseball career. And, um, I think that those of us that have seen movies or, uh, you know, have, have interacted with anybody that's kind of gone down that journey of professional baseball know that it is a very, very hard road that is, uh, not, not straightforward. And there's a whole lot of hurdles along the way. And, and the competition is just remarkable how many great baseball players are out there. So, for you, Michael, what do you think was the hardest part of professional baseball? Like, what was harder than what you expected it to be? Um, the the new routine. Um, you go from high school baseball. I never played college, but even in college, you don't play as many games. Um, you go from high school baseball playing, you know, two doubleheaders on a weekend that are seven inning games with a couple pitchers that you know, are tough that you know are going to be really tough, but the, the other pitches, you know, you're going to do damage off of to um, a new world of everyone is amazing. Everyone is good. And you're playing every day now. So regardless of you going three for four or zero for four, you have to physically and mentally get up and do it again the next day. So if you went four for four that one day, it doesn't matter. No one cares. Like you got to do it again. Or, <laughs> you know, you you don't have to do it again, but you have to stay consistent in a fashion to where you're not going to go completely insane. You know, because there's 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 times where you're going to be struggling, and you're going to go zero for four, zero for four, zero for three. And you're going to go into a slump. You're going to be zero for twenty, zero for twenty two, and that's when you have to continue to wake up and be consistent. And I think that for me was the hardest part about professional baseball is learning how to get over those, those struggles and just wake up and trust the process and 
do it over again, whether if I failed or succeeded that, that last day. Did you come up with any strategies to help yourself deal with that failure? If you, when, if, and when you experienced failure, I think you have to be ready for it. Um, like I said earlier, I was, when I was five years old, I started learning how to win, you know? So it was installed in me to, to not quit when if a failure, you know, comes around the corner, I just stuck it out and you know, worked harder, practiced harder and knew to trust the process. Um, that being said, when I got drafted, like I knew mentally that I would be prepared for it. Sometimes you'll see kids that are young, you know, sign and go to pro ball and they go, they, I don't know, they hit 350 in high school and they come and they go 0 for 12 in pro ball. And now they're panicking, trying to get a new swing, trying to change a bunch of stuff. If you're that type of person, you're not ready for professional baseball or the professional realm. You have to you have to be prepared to fail because now you're dealing with the best of the best and you know no one wants to fail but they're going to is how how do you deal with it generally i deal with it really poorly <laughs> oh, i mean it, I, it's hard i thought that was a question it's hard, <laughs> it's hard. It's tough. oh man it sucks yeah it's um, not good no that's been a huge realization for me recently is how to deal with failure um given the kind of conditions that we're in right now, we're recording this kind of in the depths of the coronavirus pandemic, which has obviously very much rocked the world. Um, failures is very much more prevalent, I think now than, than at any time in kind of recent imagination and memory. And so um, failure for me has been a, a, a constant struggle in my life. And, and how do we deal with failure better? And I think that what I've learned in the last couple of years is, is mental models and, and reflection are the important part about dealing with failure. And for, for myself, I know, Michael, that um, when I experience failure, like my number one, my first reaction, like what is Jared telling me to do right now? And Jared's telling me to run for the hills, like right. run for safety, go find a beach somewhere far away where you're not putting yourself out there, where you've got no risk. Um, and I think that that's, that's the easy thing to do, right? And that's what people that don't achieve what they want to achieve do. Um, but if you want to achieve things in this world and you've got like this dream or this vision to, to make a difference, then I, what I found is that, and this is kind of just a, a recent realization, is that in order to achieve and to, to grow through failure, what I have to do at least, and, and maybe this would help other people, is, is to reflect on why that failure happened and then come up with like a principle, a principle that you can stop that same failure from happening again in the future. And so maybe it's a a mental weakness, or maybe it was a, an issue with your business, or maybe in in your case, maybe that was not um, showing up to the game. Like you weren't prepared enough, for example. And Mm -hmm. so instituting those things, I think is the only thing that I've, I've come to kind of take away from failure that, that, failure really is just an opportunity for like this real true transformation. Absolutely. And it, it starts with not pointing fingers and taking the blame, to be honest. Yes. It's so, it's so easy to be like, damn, I had a bad game because the umpire, I, I didn't have a 12 inch sub. I only had a six inch sub or like, 
<laughs> you know, like the like the bus ride was just too long, and the bus ride air conditioning, like it just wasn't. In, no, screw that. I take yeah. the blame. The idea that the situations might not be ideal, but everyone's kind of in it. You know what I mean? Like, why why are they succeeding and I'm not? Take the blame, and then figure out why they're succeeding, and maybe you can learn something from somebody else. And then number two is control what you can control, man. Like that's 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 really it. And if you can, for me, if I look at those two, then I can get over my failures or be more happy with them and know that okay, um, I'm going to go to sleep, wake up, and it's going to be a new day. Yeah, control your nutrition, your your mental preparation, your physical. Uh, preparation, et cetera, and, and then leave the everything else up to to kind of how it falls. Right, exactly. What What do you think, Michael, was easier about professional baseball than you first anticipated? Um, I would think the, the the fitness the fitness aspect of it, the stretching aspect of it. Um, there's more accountability for the player itself to have themselves in shape. So. You know, it's in the off season. You have your program. You show up spring training. They're not going to kill you in spring training. They're gonna. It's going to be more. Spring training is more boring than anything. You know, you're going through mm. bunt drills and <laughs> PFPs and like how to run the bases again, which is cool. Your first couple years, you know what I mean? Because there are there's a lot of information that you're like, wow, damn, I didn't I didn't know this. But you know, come your yeah. third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh year, you're like, oh my gosh, like what? Come on. So that was that was that was like the easier part of things because you weren't getting killed with conditioning or in the weight room, you know. They they just want you to be ready to play in between the lines. So I would I would say I would say that. And, and kind of keeping on this track of of your professional baseball career, you played um, you played professionally in in Mexico. You've kind of played all over the world, actually, Michael. Um, so yeah, you played professionally in Mexico the last couple of years and. Um, it, during those kind of couple of years, did you have anything uh, interesting, maybe out of the ordinary that, that kind of happened to you in those years? Um, yeah, man. So like playing in Mexico is, um, is, is a very unique experience. It's, it's not like eastbound and down. I think eastbound and down. <laughs> if, if, if every, seriously, if every, anybody that watches that show, Oh. Like, was was this how you played? I'm like, no. So there's 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 two leagues in the summer league in Mexico. There's like the, and they're both professional leagues. But there's the like the league where everyone wants to play in, which is the league I was in. And then there's like a lower minor league level of that league, and that's eastbound and down. That is like the middle of Mexico City's. Like you know, it's you have you have those fans are really are paying super cheap prices for tickets and the experience is just the 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 style of play or the level of play isn't that high and the experience is just crazy but where i was playing you know we had stadiums um we had nice hotels you know it's good pay down there so it was really cool but one story that sticks out was i was in laredo mexico and we played one game in laredo mexico and that team in Laredo also has a has has a stadium in the states in Laredo, Texas. So after that game in Mexico, we bust over across the border and check into our hotel. And uh, our manager says, "Hey, 
all the Americans, all the imports, I guess you should say, um, Americans and Dominicans that we had on our team, you guys have to cross the border again tomorrow and hand in your immigration card, come back over so you guys can be eligible to get like um, a visa, like a proper visa. So we're like, okay, cool. And he was like, in order to cross the border back into Mexico, you guys can either wait in line because we don't have a car, obviously. You guys can either wait in the line and the line could be huge because there's a bunch of people walking back over. Or, or you can rent uh, a bike from this Mexican guy on the Texas side and ride over and it classifies as a car and you just go right in. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I woke up in the morning like not knowing what to do. I've never crossed the border walking before and I'm about to cross now on a bike, um, on a bike into Mexico. So I see the guy. I hand him, I hand him a hundred pesos, which is five dollars American, and I jump on this bike and I'm just riding across. I'm just riding across the border, and what, looking at to my right, and I see all these people lined up walking to get back in. I look to my left, I see all these people walking and lined up to get back in the states, and I'm just riding my bike, not knowing if this is legal or illegal. I feel so, <laughs> I felt so illegal at the time. I didn't get checked. I wore, I, I biked right into Mexico without getting checked. Handed my, <laughs> handed in my immigration card. I had to drop the bike off. I had to go to, um, I had to cross the street, get another bike for five dollars, and ride back. And I just kind of looked at the security guard, or not the security guard. I guess what would you, what would you TSA? Yeah, TSA. <laughs> Gave him a little thumbs up, and he. I handed in my uh, passport to him, and I rolled right back on through. I think I might have spent, it was a 10-minute round trip, of <laughs> getting a bike on the American side, riding through, getting a bike on the Mexican side, and riding back over. Had I have not gotten that bike, I would have spent maybe three hours in line. Wow. So yeah, it's a that little is a good $10, man. Yeah, that's the best $10 I've spent. So if anyone is looking to cross the border real quick from yeah, Mexico, rent a bike, just, you know, rent a bike. It acts like a car and you just roll <laughs> right on through. Dude, I, I don't even know if you can cross the border from the U.S. into Mexico anymore. That might be illegal now. I don't know. Uh, I mean, you might have to grab a ladder and climb a wall. Times have changed. Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So was that kind of like a, a theme down in, in Mexico playing pro ball? Like obviously the competition was was excellent, but mm -hmm. um, was that kind of a, the level of professionalism? Was it a little bit, I don't know, comical in some ways? Um, I mean, it's it's a very high level of baseball. So like the, the ball is amazing, but there's like there's little there's little antics that go on with Mexico um, that are are kind of funny. But then as you play the entire season, it becomes a norm. Um, can you give any specific examples of that? It's, it's, yeah, I mean, okay. So like, um, you have, I don't know, sp spread, for instance, we had no spread. You would go outside to the lady cooking tacos or, or whatever they're cooking outside of the stadium. Like, I'm talking like bomb food. I'm talking like food that was, if it was in, I'm from Vancouver right now, if it was in Vancouver, there'd be a line around the corner. <laughs> and that was like our, you know, like that's what we were eating before games and like after games meals were so like if you if we went to a restaurant and say we got a big meal 
it'd be seven dollars American. And say we wanted a beer after a game, it would be two bucks. And if you wanted to splurge that night and you had a day off, a bottle of tequila will cost you twenty five dollars. Like it's just it's almost like you're rock stars. You're rock stars down there because everyone's getting paid primarily in, in, in American money in US dollars and the and the dollar goes a long way. Um and the cities the cities in the in Mexico are unbelievable. They're 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 just they're they're cities that people don't really get to explore because everyone gets attracted to Puerto Vallarta or Cancun mm. or I don't know any touristy hot zone in Mexico, but I had the chance to live as a true local and I had an apartment in Puebla amongst the locals. Um, so like I would get up and I have my local little breakfast shop or my local gym. And we would go to places like Tabasco, Mexico, Mexico City, Oaxaca. So I got to learn the culture and how the locals go about their day to day. And it was amazing. That's a, what a unique experience, man. I think that, uh, that combining baseball and travel is like the perfect world. And so I just, I really admire the, kind of the, the path that you've taken. Um, I'd, I'd be interested, Michael, to know, like all these professional achievements that you've had, you know, you've, you've won medals at Pan Am Games. You've, I think, competed in, um, you know, many of these kind of international competitions. So I'd be interested to know, is there one experience? Is there one game? Is there one hit that really stands out for you as being kind of the pinnacle of your baseball career? Um, yeah, I would, I would go with... Um a tournament um in 20 in 2013 i uh i played in the australian baseball league uh the the winner of that league in the previous year at that particular time got to go play in the asia series and the asia series is the top the winner of the korean baseball league the winner of the japanese baseball league the winner of the Chinese baseball league and the winner of the Taiwanese baseball league, they get together along with this one team from Australia and play a tournament. So I was fortunate enough to jump on a team that had won the previous year. So I had a chance to go to Taichung um, in Taiwan to play this tournament. And our payroll at the time is maybe $40,000 a month, you know, and we're going up against payrolls of, you know, fifty-six million. Whoa! You know? yeah. For the Japanese? <laughs> yeah, I think actually ours was maybe lower than that a month. Um, for yeah, so you're you're going up against like the Japanese winner. So Tanaka was on the team, but he wow. elected he elected to sign with the Yankees, so he didn't play in that tournament. Phew. But that just goes to show you the talent that you know was out there. <laughs> So yeah. we're like, we, we were just going out there like, okay, this is like a little vacation. You know, this is dope. We get to see Taiwan for the first <laughs> we're time. We're going to get crushed. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to get absolutely crushed. Um, we actually had, there was meetings because there's a lot of um, conspiracy in, you know, in Asia baseball sometimes where people will come up to you and like the Black Sox and say, hey man, like blow the game. Here's $50,000. So we had meetings saying, hey, if you guys encounter this, don't accept take it. it. Yada, yada. Take it. <laughs> you know what take yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So we started we started the tournament. We're like, okay, you know, this is gonna be this is whatever. Um, um 
we won game one and we won game one. We had all the head execs in Australian baseball with us. So they, they opened up a nice little bar tab. So we, <laughs> so, we, so we, so we drank, we're having a good time. You know, all the boys are together. We go to karaoke. Um, we have practice the next day. The next day we won game two. And um, I think we lost game three and we ended up winning game four, which wow. meant that we had a place in the semifinals. And we're all looking at each other like, we don't oh, belong here. Bro, we're the best fucking team in this tournament. Let's go. <laughs> so we're all we're all just sitting around and we like we we turned we got that alter ego like we're talking about. We actually believed that we were the best team in this tournament. So we go to the semifinals. We win the semifinals. I think I think it was um, forty. We won the semifinals forty two. So now we're like damn, we're in the championship game of the damn Asia series. So we go in the championship game, and I think we dusted that team by like eight runs. We ended up winning the entire tournament, beat all the best teams from Asia, and we took home like a big check for the ABL. We got paid a little wow. bit too. I think it was like I think it was like two grand each per player. But I've never been on a team where everybody was on every everybody on that team played to the best of their ability for those six games. And it was, it was the most, and that's, a, that's what, that's the beauty about baseball is that if everyone is on or clicks, anything could happen. Like this team, you could get, you could get a college baseball team to go beat the New York Yankees tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. That being said, they might not beat them in a series. They wouldn't beat them in the series, but that one game, if that one pitcher has his pitch on, if that one hitter does his job and, Anything can happen in the, in baseball, and that's that tournament, that that those six games. I will always tell to people because, or especially when you know the odds aren't in your favor, just because, like, man, we did it in 2013 against some of the best players in the world in Asia. Wow, we can do it now. Yeah, isn't it so special being on a team like that? And I don't even think it matters necessarily what level you're at. But just those rare moments where things click and you feel like we're invincible. Like those are the moments in our lives, or at least I and like I would pay anything to get those moments back. Yeah, it's um you have to you have to realize early that you're in a special team or situation and just enjoy it. I mean, you should be doing that all the time but with baseball there's that happens very few times where you're on a mm-hmm. team to where it's like this is just like I love showing up to the ballpark like I know everyone has my back on the field like you guys go out after games and grab dinners together or like you grab a couple beers and then you and then you disperse you just become a family and after six months it's like it's kind of like bittersweet. It's like, yes, I get to have my, I get to you know, rest my body, but like, I'm not going to ever get this back again. You yes. know, or, or you don't know when you'll get that. It could be 10 more years. It could be the next year. You don't know because every season is so different. Every player is so unique. So I was, I was fortunate enough to have that that year. Yeah. Those are the moments that will look back on, uh, and, and smile about forever, I think, regardless of the sport. And um, 
I want to kind of transition here, Michael, to yeah. to your transition and, and your uh, kind of reinvention, which is the, the primary reason that I originally reached out to you is that you have gone from Michael Krauss, the baseball player, and you've you've become a, a business owner as well. So you've opened up Travail, uh, which is all about coaching kids how to, to play baseball, not just the, the physical qualities of baseball, but the, the mental, the, the nutrition, the, the physical component, the training component. And so, um, yeah, I just really admire that folks that are able to make that transition. And, and um, so kudos to you for, for having done that. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. So did you find that it was an easy transition to go from baseball to business owner? Or, or did you find that you really had to learn a whole lot of different things to kind of make that transition? Coming back every year from um, professional baseball, my off season, I would, you know, give lessons to kids. So I've been kind of building up to this for, I don't know, maybe the last five years and gaining knowledge on, you know, how this sort of market works and is there a, is there a need for development in Vancouver? And over the past five years, I realized, I mean, there was, there's, there wasn't a lot of professional guys that stick around in Vancouver. They either live in the States or have families and, and move somewhere else. So I knew for me that um, with my background uh, that it would it would be a little bit easier to move the, in that direction. That being said, going through the startup process and the startup cost that was that was a little bit difficult because it was all foreign and all new to me. Um, you know, I was I'm, I'm lucky to have a good business partner with uh, Tyson Gillies. And uh, we kind of figured it out with each other. And um, I'm glad we did because our first year was uh, was amazing. What do you mean by that? What was so great about it? Well, we, we built up a clientele from maybe eight kids that we would normally train in the past, like, uh, four years. Eight, eight steady clients to having over 100 kids come wow. to our facility uh, on a weekly basis. Um, how did you grow so quickly? I think I think there's one thing coming home and sending out an email on your personal email list and saying, "Hey, I'm home. Like, you want to get together?" Or or having a, a set website and a set email to where now it 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 looks a lot more professional and it it shows to your clients that you're here to stay. That this isn't just going to be a one time thing. That okay, um, there was there was a thought process put out. And um, yeah, I think I think we grew that way, but also word of mouth um, through the, the development and the teachings that we were doing. What do you think was the biggest challenge for you starting off? Like, obviously, there's so many different things that go into it, like you mentioned, like design and finance and development. What was the big if you had to choose one big challenge, what was it? Um, I think it's in Vancouver, especially because of the rain, it's finding a space. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I mean, it, it's, it's truly, you have to have a, a baseball cage to make things work from October to March. Um, so we were fortunate. I was fortunate enough to have friends 
who were starting a gym in this area in East Vancouver. And in one particular section of the gym, they were going or they had plans to make it a cage. Um, and this was in, all in the process of, of when there was no equipment in the facility. So I said, hey, let me be your baseball guy. And that's kind of when me and Tyson took the, the leap and just said, hey, screw it. Let's just make a business out of it. What, was there specific attributes that you found that you had from your professional baseball career that you found that transitioned over well to the business world? Like, I think that business is, is life in many ways, right? Like right. Um, it's, it's about people, it's about relationship building, it's about dedication and perseverance. But did you find that there was one thing for you that really transitioned over from baseball to business? Yeah. Um, like we said before, um, failures. Um, I know how to fail. So that being said, if I was to start a business, I, I understood that there was going to be failures involved or fears that might be involved when doing this. And I said, you know what, I've encountered so many fears, so many failures throughout my baseball career um, that I know how to handle it if it arose. And that that's what made our our decision to create a company that much easier. Uh, that being said, when we did do that, we did run in some run into some things that, you know, we didn't plan for, but we made the adjustments just like with baseball. You know, if you, if you do something or if you swing at a pitch two times in a row, you know, don't do it the third time, make the adjustment. And we were able to get handed with some adjustments and, and we did it on the fly and we made the best of it. So your vision for Travail, or like you're, you're coaching kids in kind of a more holistic way, it seems like, like not just the baseball stuff, but you're also um, coaching them in, in nutrition and fitness and, and kind of the, the corollaries there. So I, I'm interested, can you just maybe briefly speak to, to how does that training look like? Like what does that uh, weekly program look like for the kids? Is it just specific to, to skills or is it bigger than that? So as of right now, it's it's just it's just skills. It's just coming into the cage and going through uh, seventy five minutes of a baseball program. Of fifteen minutes of that being movements and agilities, and the rest of the hour filled with um, hitting and individual defense. From from building this this first year's base, we get a chance to you know, get a collective group of kids that we can see having a mindset, how I had a mindset when I was younger. And now, now we can start incorporating um, weight training plans for them for when they do get 13, 14, 15 years old. We're dealing with kids primarily of the ages of eight to 12. So our first step with this was just to get kids in and to just to show parents and kids what we're about. Um, and the next step is to do that all over again, but continuing to add, I don't know, more strength, depending on what age the kid is. And um, nutrition as that kid goes through those maturity stages of life. So before we turn to you as a person, I, I want to finish off with some, some rapid fire questions here. So if you only had two hours a week to focus on the business of Travail, what would you focus on? Uh, athletic movements would be 
You talking about when I train somebody? Uh, yeah, let's go with that. Um, athletic movements. Nowadays, I feel like kids are selecting only one sport to play. They're not really going outside and running around and skateboarding, scootering and rollerblading and jumping in the dirt to where they're losing like the, the natural instincts of how to move, how to do a ladder drill, how to do a side shuffle, a, a backwards lunge. So um, I would spend a good part of that time just doing that because that allows me to teach how to fill the ground ball better. If you can do a side shuffle, then you can fill the ground ball. If you can't do a side shuffle, I can't really teach you how to fill the ground ball because you have to be able to move. So I would do that, lead into more some individual skills and some technique stuff. But that being said, just the just the small fundamentals that allows us to understand how to get a short hop or how to get a long hop and, and explaining both. And then finish off with uh, something that everyone likes to do, hitting. <laughs> and, you know, everyone likes to get into a cage and just rip baseballs and not really trying to change kids' swings per se, but just to try to add little, you know, explanations on, yeah, enhancements on, okay, this is why you're hitting a rollover. We don't have to change, or this is why you're hitting a, a ball on the ground to shortstop. You're hitting a rollover. We don't have to change your swing to prevent that. We might just have to stay through a ball a little bit longer to prevent that. So that's kind of like the approach that we take when we when we teach. And looking back to yourself at 18 when you're entering professional baseball, what piece of advice would you have told yourself? I would say <laughs> buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> buckle up, enjoy the ride, man, and just, you know, and 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 feed off the platform you're about to be given. You know, you're just not you're not just a baseball player, you're just not just an athlete. You're you are now a businessman. You're entering the professional realm where a big part of transactions, whether you move up or down, is uh, is it's a business move too. So mm-hmm. start to understand the ins and outs of why you're there and build off of that for maybe yourself or even how you get to the next level. Do you have some kind of understanding of where your drive comes from? Like what keeps pushing you? I want to see, I want to know where Michael Krause can get to. And what I mean by that is I view myself as doing amazing things whether it's in baseball or business or family, I just want to keep striving to be the best and on the way, you know, show other people, younger kids or other people around me that, you know what, if he can do it, then I can do it. Yeah. People look at me all the time and they say, if that big dummy can do that, (laughs) then uh, I could. And so that really (laughs) resonates with me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just, you know, everyone, everyone sees, I don't know, you can see a little bit of yourself in everybody, whether it's a 1%, 2%, 10%, 50%. Yeah. So, I mean, we're all human. So we, we have that in us to see, okay, I look at that person. Oh man, that reminds me of me. Maybe I can give them some tips. But instead of like verbally going up to people and say, hey, this is what you should be doing, I just want to do it naturally. And then if someone approaches me and asks, I'll give them what I know. And that's 
And then once I give them what I know, I can, I can, I can live by it because I'm actually doing it myself. So, well, I do have a men's baseball season coming up here pretty soon. So I may be pestering you with some questions. I'm going to send you some game film. Okay. There you go. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get on it. I'll get on one of those apps where I can draw those lines and circles. Oh, and stuff. oh yeah. It's all awful. That's what you'll say. <laughs> I promise I won't, man. Uh, what about your resiliency? How have you developed it? And any recommendations for how other people can re- uh, develop it themselves? You have to build a discipline for yourself. I'll build a habit. Um, and if you if you haven't already done it, I don't know. Start maybe with uh, a week of waking up and making your bed and eating healthy for a week. And then if you can do that, or if you didn't do that, start over again and hold yourself accountable. And then if once you do do that for a week, add another week on top of that, and another week until it becomes everyday life for you, and you no longer have to think about it. I love it. I think that habits are so, so crucial. And even Michael, earlier on, you mentioned your habit of drinking, uh, getting up and drinking first thing, a cup of water, uh, a big glass of water. And I think that that's something that I've implemented in, in my own life in the last couple of months. And I put a little bit of salt in it and some lemon and, and that just adds, um, some electrolytes and minerals to your, to your, uh, to your body first thing in the morning. And I've noticed I don't even need coffee in the morning. When I when I have that water first thing in the morning and, and mm-hmm. have like a liter of water, I'm good to go, man. Like I'm fired up and, and ready. And so there is this real power in habits that I think folks are starting to kind of recognize. Absolutely. Do you have any, do you have any specific routines that you use that mm-hmm. allow you to maybe achieve more, accomplish more, get to that level of success that you've achieved? For uh, for for me. I know I know working out and getting my running done in the morning will allow me to kind of conquer the entire day. Um I don't know, I get a sense of awareness, my senses are more heightened when I when I move my body, when I get everything going cuz not only am I working out like I'm adding the nutrition to be able to get a good workout, I'm adding the 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 hydration to be able to get a good workout. So it, like Everything is complemented around that hour of movement. You don't, so you don't have to classify it as a workout. Just an hour of movement is now set me up for an amazing day. And that being said, being an athlete, I get the opportunity to do that a lot more often than uh, people that work nine to five because of, you know, sometimes that job will take a toll and you, you know, you can't really get to the gym or move. But if you can find a way to move, um, every day for an hour you're going to get your water intake in you're going to get your nutrition in so you don't feel sluggish for that workout and it's going to just lead to an overall better day so for me you know that little routine that i have in the morning from when i wake up to noon getting all that stuff in allows my day to be a lot better than it would be if i didn't do you have a quote right now that resonates with you um whether you think you can or cannot, you're probably right. For me, it's an amazing one just because your mind is so powerful. So if I get into the box and I tell myself, you know what, I can hit 99, I probably can that day. You know, I'm going to hit 99. <laughs> <laughs> 
if I get in the box and I say, damn, this guy's fast. I, I suck. I suck. Like, oh my <laughs> gosh, that last area, you know, I suck. I'm probably going to be sitting down on the bench in, in less than 45 seconds. So, and, and what about, what about books? What's the best book that you've read recently? Um, recently, I'll have to say Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Why did that resonate with you? He just talks about all the outliers in life that, that, um, um, on why people make it, why, why there's plane crashes. And he just goes into depth on stuff that people overthink or not overthink that, uh, that overpass. So if you see a plane crash, if you see a plane crash, there's, there's more to that plane crash than just, you know, debris in the ground. If you see someone on a, a concert stage, there's more than that person just on the stage. There was, mm-hmm. there was a lot leading up to that person on the stage. There was a lot leading up to that plane crash. And he go, he really goes into depth on those sort of issues. And, um, like the Beatles, yeah. for example, like we look at the Beatles and we just think that they're this massive hit, but what we right. don't see is the, that they played literally eight hours a day in Amsterdam, I think for like years to get that good. And then people will look at them and say, oh, you, they're so lucky by living yes. in that house. So they're so lucky by, no, there was no luck. And there was no hard luck work. involved. It was, it was very hard work to get to that position. Yeah. And then the, the lucky part was they were put in front of somebody, but even then that's not luck because they were ready to seize a certain opportunity. Yeah, it's easier just to look at successful people and to say, oh, it's luck, than to say, right. oh, shoot, if I worked really hard, I could achieve the same thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Looking back on the last year, what do you think is the most important thing that you've learned? Business, sports, your body, nutrition, fitness, anything? Always stay ready for the next opportunity because you don't know what's going to happen on a year-to-year basis. You can, you can try to set these, these goals, these five-year plans, these three-year plans. But what if you don't, what if you don't reach it? You know what I mean? What if that plan goes a different route? I think, I think it's good to set plans, but stay ready every single day because, you know, you're, you might, you might have an opportunity to go over here tomorrow. And if you even took a week off of, of your habits or your routine, you might not be ready for the offer around the corner. So I was, you know, I finished my season not having a business. And then next year I had a business. I didn't account for that. But because I was ready and I lived my life, you know, the same every single day, I was able to, you know, take that leap and start something that wasn't even in the plans. Michael, as we're kind of wrapping this podcast up, I'm reflecting on some of the notes that I've been making over the course of the episode. And kind of one thing that stands out to me is that, um, so I used to always listen in the mornings or, or during workouts, I'd listen to like Will Smith because I thought um, like he has so many inspirational and um, admirable kind of quotes and and. Um, stories and, and examples from his own life. And as I'm kind of reflecting of all the quotes that I've written down from you in this podcast, I'm just reflecting on, you should start your own like quote journal, man. I would subscribe to that. This has been inspirational. And I, and I think that listeners will probably get that same sense that you just have this real um, 
sense of optimism. And, and so I, I want to just finish off with one last question here. And, and in our, our weekly Strive meeting, so it's a, a group of entrepreneurs, and we meet uh, every Monday morning from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. And we, just like you said, we set goals and we, we hold each other accountable. And, and we mm-hmm. focus on doing those important things in our, in our lives, not just our businesses, but our, our health, our wealth, our relationships, our, the impact that we're making on the world. Um, but each week, one guy, um, one of the members will have an opportunity to say, this is my blind spot. So this is what I think is holding me back from success. And we go around the, the room and we, we really drill down to what is that one thing that's holding that person back from success. And sometimes that's a bit of a cathartic and sometimes it's a painful experience for that person to go through. So I want to turn that question to you. And I'm asking for a bit of vulnerability here for you to, to yeah. tell me what, it, what do you think is holding you back from even higher levels of success right now? I mean that's a that's a very it's a very good question. It's a tough question. Um, experience and in, in in time um, with this new thing going forward with Travail, um, especially in the business route. You know, I didn't come from a business background. I have no idea. You know, but I know baseball, and I know I know how. You know, I know that hard work will will persevere in certain aspects in life. So I think the one thing that I need to continue to do is gain more knowledge about the business part of, you know, um, the the business part of travail that I'm getting into. And if I can continue to learn on that and pick people's brains who have been in this realm a lot longer than me, then I feel like this thing could take off. Well, Michael, with that said, I want to thank you for taking this time to sit down with us. Um, it was just a real honor to have this conversation and to reconnect after many years. And, and like you said in the, the podcast yourself, you, um, you've strived for more. And, and from an outsider's perspective, you have achieved that. You've, you've really achieved some incredible things across many different domains. And so I'm grateful that you you sat down. And for our listeners out there, if you want to learn more about Michael, you can find him personally on Instagram at MichaelKraus21. Or if you want to find Travail, you can find them on their website at Travail, T-R-A-V-A-I-L dot co. Michael, my friend, thank you so much for doing this. Jared, brother, it's been good to reconnect, man. It's been how long now? 10 years? 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> man, and that's the one thing about the baseball community, man. It always comes full circle, brother. Yeah. Well, thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please stay tuned for more stories from successful entrepreneurs, artists, influencers, and sports and medical moguls. Please know that I've got your back and the world needs you to go out there and create, innovate, and iterate. If you like this episode, then please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. You can also find Strive Accelerator on Instagram at Strive Accelerator. And find show notes and all of our free content on our website at striveaccelerator.com. I always want to hear feedback from listeners, so please shoot me an email at jared at striveaccelerator.ca.